guys can clap. You don't have to like awkwardly not kind of clap and then I have to come up here after that. I always have to come up here after the this, this sappy thing and try to hold my emotions together. Welcome to City Love Suffolk. I am honored to be standing up here tonight. Um, if the SLT team um, wants to pass out, is Sarah in here? Okay. If you want to pass out, they're going to pass out some note cards to you guys. And if you need a pen, um, we're going to use those later tonight. So, and, Or if you've got a kid in here you need to keep distracted, you can grab a couple extra and, and keep them distracted. I've got my uh, handy-dandy bar stool up here because I um, am dealing with some pain tonight. That is my reality. That is my current situation in life. I've got some chronic health issues, and I thought that I, I was like, you know, I'm going to stand the whole night, and I'm just going to make it happen, but then my whole sermon is about relatability and vulnerability and being a real person, and then I was like, why would I do that? Or I was actually going to bring my ice pack, too, but I kind of forgot it, so if I sit tonight, that is why. Not that it needs an explanation, but I just want to be a real person with you guys here tonight, and um, so... I am Stephanie White. If I haven't met you before, I'm Stephanie White. My husband is Justin White, and he is the campus pastor of City Life Suffolk. And if I haven't met you in person yet, we're kind of in a season. um, We adopted our son last year from India, and within about six months to a year of that, I was diagnosed with a brain malformation, a heart condition, a connective tissue disorder, and a uh, cell a cell disorder, and so all within, it's like, here's a two-year-old that doesn't speak English, and then here's five conditions that um, are a lot to deal with, so I've always had those symptoms, but got those diagnoses um, last year, and in between last year and this year, so uh, needless to say, a lot of uh, my time is either spent in the back, or sometimes I come for worship. My new routine is that I uh, put Netflix on for my son and put him in the back in the in the stroller, and he watches Secret Life of Pets, and I can worship Jesus, and then I leave and I go home, and we have something to eat. So I get a little bit of Jesus in, and then he's just not, he's not about the nursery right now, and I'm not making him go in the nursery because he's been through a lot in his little life. So if I haven't met you or had the pleasure of meeting you, I hope I get to do that soon or tonight. And um, you've probably heard my son at some point in the back yelling, da, 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 da or loudly protesting because his Netflix show is buffering uh, because the Wi-Fi in here is sometimes not great. So that is our life right now. And I just want to pray before I share anything else with you um, just to cover myself and to cover us um, in God's truth and word. So, God, we come before you tonight. We just ask that you would speak to us, God, that that you would speak through your word, by your word, and... um, God, just relate to us in the way that each of us need to be related to tonight. Speak something to us, God, that has been on our heart or has needed to be on our heart. Um, Meet us where we need to be met, God. We know that you're an expert at that. So we pray tonight, God, that you would humble me, that you would uh, speak through me, God, and that I would just speak your truth and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you want to write down a sermon title tonight, um, it's hashtag relatable. So hashtag relatable is what I'm talking about tonight. There was a hashtag floating around for quite a while. I still use it. And it was hashtag relatable. So people would say something that was just super relatable or honest or vulnerable and just hashtag relatable. Like this is just real life. This is relatable. And people liked that. I think it was like a growing trend because people liked that people were being real, you know, on social media, on Instagram and Facebook and 
Twitter and these other places, there's usually like this profile that's displayed a lot of times of like the highlight reel of people's lives. And so people kind of brought it back to relatability. And I'm still using it because I love relatability. And that's part of why I'm speaking on it tonight. Um, so it is Mother's Day weekend. And like Amanda said, we do want to honor moms and honor women tonight. Um, but this isn't just a sermon for moms tonight. It's not just a sermon for um, for, for someone that's walking in a season of motherhood, it's, I feel like, a sermon for all of us tonight. So don't tune out if you're not a mom. Um, and I think this weekend is a weekend to celebrate all women, like Amanda said. You know, if you're a mom, if you're a mom that has teenagers, or if you're a mom that has little kids, if you would love to be a mom one day, even uh, people that don't have a desire to be a mom. There's people in the world that don't have a desire in their heart to be a mom, but they play such an amazing supportive role in the families of other people, and those women are <laughs> champions. They're amazing. Um, so if you're a healthy mama, a sick mama, a disabled mama, a toddler mom, a teenager mom, uh, a mom that has an empty nest, or whatever, whatever your season is of life tonight, I feel like this word is for all of us. So one of the greatest gifts and the most valuable assets that I've found in my motherhood journey and also just in life and places where life has just gotten hard and circumstances are really hard and my faith gets tested is relationship and relatability. Knowing that in the really hard moments when I'm grieving or I've lost someone in my life, um, toddler tantrums, exhaustion, middle of the night wake-ups, um, most, just the emotions that we go through in those seasons where our, our faith is being tested um, is just knowing that I'm not the only one and just knowing that there's someone else out there that is able to say, me too, I get it, I've been through that, I'm going through that. And I love that um, God uses relatability as such a tool to bring us together and, and where the enemy wants to isolate us, that God brings relatability into our lives. So I'm going to ask you guys to do something tonight. Um, so don't raise your hand until I'm done asking all these questions. I know that sounds like a control freak kind of thing to say, and I am a little bit of a control freak, but you'll see why when I ask the questions. So just think in your head, and you can laugh. It's okay if you laugh about them, but just don't raise your hand yet. So think in your head, have you ever been pooped on? Have you ever been spit up on? Have you ever had a booger wiped on you? That was my literal, like, everyday life right now. Have you ever had a toy thrown at you? Have you ever been told that you are mean, that you are the worst, or you are mean? You're a mean mom, or you're a mean dad, or you're a mean person. Have you ever been up in the middle of the night and couldn't sleep for any reason? Crying baby, insomnia, whatever. All right. So if, you, if any of those have applied to you, if you would raise your hand. If it makes you feel better, raise both your hands because, some, yes, all of, the, all of those things. So if you looked around, would you guys keep your, put your hands up, back up and keep your hands? If you look around, every person, almost every person, if not every person in here, their hands are raised, and that is relatability. <laughs> that is where relationships can form, where, where the enemy wants to say, all right, you're the only one struggling with this. You're the only one up right now in the middle of the night where your thoughts are reeling and reeling and you can't fall asleep. That's when God can come in and say, no, there's someone else. There's probably a lot of other people that are dealing with what you're dealing with right now. So if you ever find yourself at odds with someone in this room, just remember that they probably have been pooped on too, and you will feel better. So what comes to mind when you hear the word religion? You can raise your hand if you have something that comes to mind. What word or what words 
Yes. Rules, okay? Legalism, all right? Control. Anybody else? Tradition, stuff. Differences, all right? So the definition of religion is the belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal god or gods, which sounds pretty awesome. And it is awesome. And there's nothing wrong with religion and its practices until religion becomes more important than relationship. And until being right starts to overtake love and relatability. And a lot of times I think people look at religion and the way we talk about it in the church, it, I think it can become confusing because we talk about religion like it's this horrible thing. Religion and, and the practices of religion aren't wrong. It's just that when religion becomes more important to us than relationship, that's when the balance is tipped in the wrong direction. So God sending Jesus was the ultimate act of love and relatability. So hope came in the vulnerability of a baby and lived a life that was both fully flesh and fully human. And I think we probably could have been saved from sin and connected with God, you know, a lot of different ways. I don't know. This, I, didn't, I didn't plan for how awkward this might be to do during the actual, <laughs> if anyone's listening, I'm trying to get in my stool, but my flowy thing is, sure, is not helping. So I think that we could have been saved anyway and connected with God anyway. Um, I think God could have snapped his fingers and said, let it be so. I think he could have torn the veil in a number of different ways, but I think the story, it mattered to God, and it mattered what was going to be passed on to countless generations, and because we're flesh, he sent flesh. He sent relatability in the form of a baby boy, in the form of vulnerability, so the result of that is a new level of relationship and intimacy with God. Um, Hebrews four fifteen through 16 It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I think the part where it says, yet he did not sin, there's times in my life where that's almost made me feel the opposite of being related to. Or I've been like, okay, well, he did not sin, so I'm never going to get there. So I'm not even like, not that I'm not going to try, but it just felt like it was such an unattainable thing that it, it took me out of what I think God was trying to do in that moment to bring relatability. And so something I want to talk about tonight as well is that how is, how is that, that God did not sin? Um, how is it that, or God not God, Jesus. How did Jesus not sin? So how did he walk on this earth and be tempted in every way that we were and not sin? So I think before I even go into my point, something that God just pointed out to me this afternoon I want to share with you is three things that I feel like why he did not sin. And I think the first one is that Jesus was rooted in his identity. He knew whose son he was. And he didn't, you know, there was just no question about it. I'm God's son. God sent me straight from heaven. I'm Jesus. I'm God's son. No question about it. So I think the second thing is he wasn't concerned with pleasing people. He didn't care what people thought because his identity was rooted. So he was rooted in his identity. He wasn't concerned with pleasing people. And the third thing is that he was focused on connection. So above everything, he was focused on connection. And so God kind of 
you know, that was pricking my mind, yet he did not sin, yet he did not sin. I was like, why is that? Why was he able to not sin? Um, So those three things, I think, stood out to me. So tonight, I would love to talk with you guys about how Jesus is drawing us back to relationship and away from static religion. Not just from religion, but static religion, religion that is just going through the motions. So I believe that God's not calling us solely to religion and commandments and rituals, but also to relationship and relatability and creativity. So the gospel of hope and equality that we believe, that we say that we believe, that we, we preach and we profess to other people, it's about people. It's always been about people. That's never changed. It's about relationships and connections. So if God, was, God sending Jesus was the ultimate act of love and relatability, then Jesus is the ultimate relator. And we see that throughout the Bible, that Jesus chose to eat at the table with whoever he wanted to eat with. He didn't care what people thought about what their, what their profile would say or, or where they had been. or He didn't care who they had been with or what their, um, what their uh, what is it called? Reputation. What their reputation was. He didn't care. So the way that Jesus made himself relatable to many people was to speak in parables and in stories. He knew that the wisdom and the divine knowledge that he had, it would need to be broken down. And sometimes I even read the parables and stories, and I'm like, I need it to be broken down a little more than that, because I'm trying to, like, I have to read excerpts on, online about, okay, what did that really mean? So Jesus tried to break it down as much as he could for us to be able to, to absorb it. And I am the queen of over-explaining. I love details, and if I tell you a story, oh, God bless you, because... It takes a long time because I want to get in all the details. I want people to be there in the moment with me. I want people to, to be able to visualize everything that's happening, like where, some, where a bag was in the room or what time it was or what the temperature was. Like I want all those details to be in there because those things are important to me. And I think part of that is because um, my personality type, I've recently learned, is, is a personality type that loves quality answers. So if someone gives me an answer and it's just like, you know, kind of like a, I'm just getting you out of the way kind of answer. That doesn't sit well with me. I like quality answers. I like people to tell me the truth and quality answers. So I think that's one of the reasons I love parables so much is because I love details. Um, And so God did that, you know, God sent Jesus, and then Jesus broke it down even more than that to be relatable to us. So sometimes I'll even ask someone, have you ever said to someone, like, explain it to me like I'm five. (laughs) Explain it to me like I'm in kindergarten. Because I really, I don't want to just say to somebody, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I get it. I I, I don't want to be relatable to somebody if I really don't understand what they're talking about. Now, the exception with that is directions. Because I have absolutely no sense of direction whatsoever. Like, I don't, I just don't. My brain malformation that I have, literally there, like, is not enough space in my skull. So my brain is herniated herniated down into my spinal column. It's pressing on my brain stem and spinal cord, and I think there was not room in my head to put a sense of direction. So God was like, girl, I'm sorry, but you just can't have this part because there's not enough room. So I'm okay with that. So people sometimes try to explain directions to me, and they're like, you turn left on Smith's Neck Brewers something, and I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and I'm waiting for them to kind of finish and be like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but if it's, just tell me where it's at in relation to a Chick-fil-A, and I will be able to get there. So I love that Jesus, he felt the sting of injustice, of racism, of greed and hypocrisy and sorrow and pain and confusion. But he also experienced love and joy 
and fellowship and hope. Um, Jesus gets it. You know, he gets it. I believe that there's some things in life that we've kind of overcomplicated, um, some situations or some uh, even scripture that we have maybe gotten a little bit backwards that God wants to bring a relatability and a simplicity back to. So where Jesus is drawing us back to relationship and away from static religion. So the first thing I want to talk to you guys about, the first point, is longing for eternity in heaven versus living in community on earth. So longing for eternity in heaven versus living in community on earth. And this is one that I'm constantly teetering in the balance on, I think. Um, I've longed for heaven since I can remember. I have always, there's probably a short period of my life, and maybe even now when I think about the fact that heaven is forever, forever, like eternity, ever, ever, ever. Like, it kind of just like sinks in my heart and makes me feel a little bit scared. But then I think about the amazing things that we're going to do in heaven and all we have access to and all the time we're going to have and the questions we can ask and the relationships and, and, and I know that it's going to be an amazing place and then all that fear is just wiped away. So I think I teeter in the balance on that because I, I can be very heaven longing a lot of times. Um, you know, it's a, heaven's a place with no pain and no cancer and no sickness and no disease. Um, the older I get, the more I realize how hard life is and how many people are going through things. Um, and so it makes me long for heaven even more. Um, so we were sitting at dinner. It was last week or the week before Nate Nowatney's birthday as one of the elders. And everyone say, happy birthday, Nate. It was his birthday. Um, he's turning, he turned 40, so we just have to, at every point, remind him that he just turned 40. Uh, so we were talking about, they had donuts for, like, the dessert as, like, a cake, and so I have a, a gluten and wheat allergy, and I have for, I've known about it for several years, so it's not even a question, like, when a donut comes around the table, it's not going to be worth it for me, like, my stomach and my head, it was, it's, it's bad news. So I did, somehow heaven came up, and, and I was sharing that you know, in heaven, there are no, there are no celiac, there are no gluten intolerances, there are no preservative, there's just no allergies, there's no dairy allergies in heaven, amen, we can have all we want in heaven, so I told them, that's, honestly, it's one of the things I'm most excited about, is food in heaven, so I don't struggle with, like, donuts and that stuff, but the one, one of the places that I really struggle is when we go to Cracker Barrel, because their biscuits are so dang good, and I have a little bit of a grieving process every time I go to Cracker Barrel. And they're like, do you guys want bread for the table? And I'm like, no, we don't want bread for the table. No one can enjoy the bread if I can't enjoy the bread. So if you guys are looking for me for about the first century or so in heaven, I'll be at the banquet table eating Cracker Barrel biscuits and a Chick-fil-A number one combo, no pickle. Okay? <laughs> so I can be so heaven longing sometimes, though. It's really fun to kind of spin around in this. Sorry. Getting distracted by it. It's... um. I have a two-year-old, so this is kind of the season of life I'm in. Just I can get distracted by things like this. So I often forget um, that it's my sole purpose in life to, to love and to lead people, other people, to Jesus so that it could be, they can be in heaven with me eating Cracker Barrel biscuits. And I can be so heaven-longing that I lose track of that. So sometimes I joke that Jesus will come back before I have to parent teenagers. And if you're if you've ever parented teenagers or you're in the midst of it now, you're probably smiling or laughing. 
Um, or, I, or say, like, I won't, I'm not going to deal with that problem or that issue or that bill because Jesus is going to come back soon anyways. Like, he's, it's bound to be. He's, he's, he's got to be coming back soon because this world is getting crazy. But I want to look at a verse that shows us that the call to be in this world and not of it is actually a call to dynamic relationship and not to static religion. So it's John 17, verse 14 through 19. It says, I have given them your word as the world, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. So I've read that scripture probably a hundred times. And I don't know that I've ever fully grasped what it means to be, or maybe God just brought a new understanding to me more recently of what it means to be in the world and not of it. Um, I was reading, just kind of researching and seeing just, you know, what other people's opinions were about that scripture and what, um, what theologians thought about that and about that verse. And one of the things I found was a blog and an author, and he said, uh, being not of the world isn't the destination in these verses, but it's the starting place. So being not of the world isn't the destination for us. Don't work so hard to be not of the world that you don't live in it. It's the starting place, and it's the starting place for transformation, discipleship, and relationships. Matthew 28, 19, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I think I twist that in my mind. Therefore, stay and make disciples of all nations. And we kind of leave out the go part. You know, it doesn't say there to, to hunker down and batten down the hatches and throw sticks and stones at everyone that comes your way that seems like a threat, except for that's kind of how we live our lives a lot of times, isn't it? Especially with how prevalent social media is now. You know, the moment that someone disagrees with us, the moment that someone makes us feel something that we don't like, or kind of like makes us feel gross, or they seem like a threat to us, we activate this like defense mode and this defense mechanism. And I think going back to how Jesus lived in the world and didn't sin is that people's opinions didn't matter to him. You know, he wasn't uh, defined by what people thought about him. And as much as we can say that we don't care what people think about us, I think even the most secure person, even the most grounded person um, can be hurt by words from other people. Even a person that puts something on social media and asks for other people's opinions, people's words can cut deep. And people can say something that, that, that strikes a place in your heart that maybe they didn't even know that it was going to strike. But because of your past and because of what you've been through, um, it makes you activate this kind of defense mode. So the truth is that we don't have to run from darkness. We don't have to run from divisiveness. We don't have to run from confrontation um, if we do it the right way, if we do it face-to-face, -face, if we do it where we're actually building relationship with people, you know, darkness and divisiveness and the lies of the enemy, those things run from us. You know, when we say go to those things, when we say go to the lies of the enemy, when we say go to, to um, divisiveness, that stuff, it runs from us. We have that power within us because we're children of the giver of light and life. So 
we have that power in us, but we're also meant to invite others into that light, into that life, so that they too can carry that. So my husband often has said this, um, is that a faith that is, a faith that is solely inward focused is out of focus. Uh, I think something I've been convicted about more recently, even more so than not recently, is that I can become so inwardly focused and so heaven longing that I come and I sit in a pew every Saturday, but then on the in-between days, I'm, I'm losing opportunities, I'm missing opportunities to save people from hell. Like, I come here and I get fed every week on a Saturday, even if it's just for worship, and even if I didn't come on a Saturday because I needed to stay home for some reason, I know the word of God, but then on the days in between, I'm missing opportunities, I'm, I'm giving up opportunities, I'm missing, I'm missing the mark on saving people from hell, on inviting people into the light of Christ, and to me, when that happens in my life, I know that that's at a point where that's static and that's relationship-starved, broken religion. And that's something that I, I have to work through. And I know that Jesus wants to draw me back to relationship and away from just the static religion. Because we can convince ourselves that the religion is enough, that connection with God is enough, that coming here on a Saturday and having an experience with God is enough, but it's not. So Carlos Rodriguez, who's an author, he said, if I'm not reaching the same people that Christ reached, Am I even preaching the same gospel that Jesus preached? And I was like, ouch, when I heard that. If I'm not reaching the same people that Christ reached, am I even preaching the same gospel that Jesus preached? And there's an idea that's in a, a book, um, Bob Goff, he wrote um, the second book. Love Does was his first book, and Everybody Always is the second book that he wrote. It's actually the third book he wrote. The second book he wrote um, he was doing missions work, and it, his whole manuscript got stolen for the whole book, and he didn't have a backup. And so this is his third book, but the second book is who knows where. Um, he shares that story in his book. But he talks about the idea that people don't like to be told what to do. People um, don't like to, never like to be told what to do. Typically, if you tell someone what to do, automatically in their mind, they're going to want to kind of do the opposite because that's just how we're kind of wired with this rebellious nature, um, and he said that people don't like to be told what to do. They, we should tell them who they are. Um, when we tell people who they are, when we call out the good in people, when we call out the potential in people, that's where true transformation comes from. So if you, have, if you are having have to have a hard conversation with somebody or if someone's looking for encouragement, maybe think less of what you should tell them they should do in the situation. Just remind them of who they are. And sometimes that's all people need to move forward. So the second point I want to talk about tonight is um, being comfortable in self-sufficiency versus becoming desperate for connection. Being comfortable in self-sufficiency versus becoming desperate for connection. Galatians uh, 19, verse 21, it's the message version. It says, is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. And when we work really hard to keep it together to seem spiritually mature, most of the time it comes off as us being high and mighty, if we're honest. And 
when we do that, I think we miss out on opportunities for connection to form. So some of the most meaningful relationships that I have in my life have come out of some desperate situations. So I'm going to share this in just full, I'm just going to put it out there, full vulnerability. So we all have had situations where we're, we need to get to a restroom. I'm just going to put it like that. We're just, we need to get to a restroom. So we have those friends where we, we're like, um, so I, I think I need to go to the bathroom. It's okay. It's not a big deal, but like next, like the very next place, like the very next place you need to pull over. And then we have some friends where we're like, get me to a bathroom now. It's an emergency. Like pull over to the side of the street. I don't care. So we have those like two levels of friends and I have friends in this room that are that, I'm that level of friends with them. But that's where some of my meaning, like literally some of my most meaningful relationships have formed out of those desperate situations where I'm just like, I can't not be real right now because this is an emergency. So there's, there's something called the uh, peanut app. It's like basically like Tinder for mom friends. So it's like a dating app for mom friends, but you don't date, you just do like, like play dates. So it just shows how desperate our, our culture is for relatability. And so uh, my profile probably would read like, I'm really tired all the time. Sometimes I eat food off of the floor and I probably have dried boogers on my shirt. So if that's how you roll, then we can be friends. Um, but something that Bob Goff uh, said, that author of Love Does and Everybody Always he said, comfortable people, comfortable people, comfortable people don't need Jesus. Desperate people do. And I love that. Practicing religion with a focus on self, it can become a place where we're comfortable, where things are methodical, where we can convince ourselves with that connection with God alone is enough. But we're not called to be holy hermits no matter what our personality type is. Um, relationship and relatability, it calls us to vulnerability, accountability, and growth. First um, Timothy 1.15, the message version says, here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I'm proof, public sinner number one, of someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy. And now he shows me off, evidence of his endless patience to those who are right at the edge of trusting him forever. What a privilege, right? That God shows us off, evidence of his endless, endless, endless patience to those who are right on the edge of making a commitment to God, to trusting him forever. And I, if you guys follow me on social media, I, oh good, it's 612. I thought it was six, like, I thought it was like much later. So I got time. Woo! Okay. Take a deep breath. Okay. Slow it down here. So I, um, on social media, like recently as I stepped into motherhood and as I've been on a journey with, I don't, I don't like to call it journey, but I don't know what else to call it. I feel like I saw something. I was like, if they're going to call it a journey, they, you better be able to go on a cruise. <laughs> like people call it like your journey with cancer and your journey with chronic illness, but I'm not going on a cruise. This doesn't seem like much of a journey, but, um, so, uh, I share a lot on social media about just the, the real things that I go through. Um, just being vulnerable and just being honest about um, the hard days, the hard moments of motherhood, of, of chronic pain, um, of just everyday life. You don't have to be going through something like that to have hard days. Every single one of us, we have hard moments and hard days, whether or not you have one of these chronic conditions or whether or not you're a mom or dad or, or if you're single or if you're newly married, we all have hard days. So I don't really share these moments for like a pat on the back um, to fill like an emotional void. I 
could share with my husband if I'm looking for that. I share with God, you know, if I'm looking for that. I I don't really share those moments because I want someone to say, like, you can do it. Keep going. I really share those moments um, because I'm just trying to show show people that it's okay to be human. Um, so I think a lot of times people are thinking, oh, she's just complaining and she's just, she just keeps talking about the situation. But really what I'm trying to show people is that it's okay to be a human being. And it's okay to talk about that because when we talk about it, it gives other people the freedom to talk about it and for it to be okay to be a human being and to not wear this mask all the time. So um, I don't know about you guys. I think all of us are in some way. I'm definitely like a fixer. So my close friends can definitely tell you this is the truth. When they text me or they reach out in some way and say, you know, I'm struggling or I'm hurting or I'm having a hard day or, or ah, just they're, they're going crazy that day. Like my first reaction, Emily's smiling because she, this is so true of me that I, I'm just, I'm a natural fixer. I want to fix it. And so that's my first inclination. I'm like, okay, what can I bring her? What can I tell her? What can I, first can I share? What, uh, how much can I bring her french fries? Like, what can I do to try to fix the situation? Or, or like even bigger things that I, God's not even asking me to step into and to change her situation. And she's not asking me to change her situation, but I'm just naturally a fixer. So if that's you, when people are vulnerable and people share in moments of weakness, resist the urge to be a fixer. Resist the urge to fix people. And something that's so important to remember, um, typically on social media, like I won't even give advice unless someone like blatantly says I'm looking for advice. And I think all of us have shared in moments and then someone's given us advice and we were like, it's so unsolicited and it so crosses the line. And we're like, I really didn't ask for your opinion and I really have actually never met you in person and you live in Texas, so I probably never will. Um, people just, it's amazing what people will type behind a screen. Just my husband calls them keyboard warriors, people that will type stuff behind a screen, but they would never say it to your face and they may not even actually talk to you in person in your face. Um, so you will never, ever step on someone's toes by telling them that they're an amazing person, by telling them that they're an amazing mom. You're an amazing mom. I admire you for your vulnerability. I admire that you, that you keep going no matter what comes your way. I admire the way that you're trusting God with your family. You will never step on somebody's toes by saying those things, but you will step on someone's toes every time when you tell them how to live their life or how to parent their kids especially, um, how, how, to, how to deal with their situation. So resist the urge to be a fixer. Um, the Bible, it reminds us again and again to be humble, uh, to choose humility, yet we're all living our lives, I think, uh, sometimes in a way that we feel like we're trying to prove something. And it goes back to that Galatians 19 through 21. Not that one. It says that, is it not clear to you that to go back to the old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God, and I refuse to do that. So when God calls you to moments of vulnerability and moments where you just feel like you don't know why, but he wants you to share something, you may never know that what, who that person is that it may reach, and they may never actually say to you, hey, that really touched my life, and that really changed the way I saw something, or that just reached me where I was at. But do it anyways, and don't care what advice people give you, because you never know what what that could turn around in someone's mind or in their situation. So 1 Peter 5.5, 5, it reminds us again to be humble. It says, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. 
So never tell yourself, well, I've never done this before. I'm not really the person that shares about my personal life or um, people aren't going to comment or people aren't going to, no one's even going to look at it. Never talk yourself out of a moment of vulnerability and just being a real person because God uses those moments. Um, I think it's interesting that in every alien movie ever, there, I don't even know what else to call them, alien movies, I don't know. Um, is there, I don't know if it's like a genre you call other than alien movies, but in every alien movie ever, they're, 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 uh, the extraterrestrials, the people that are not of Earth, are attempting to communicate. They're either one, doing one or two things. They're attempting to communicate or they're attempting to destroy. So it is very wise of the people here on Earth, and we always feel very small when those things come up, um, it's, it's very wise of those people to try to understand what this extraterrestrial being is trying to do. Are they trying to communicate or are they trying to destroy us? And the first thing they almost always do is attempt to communicate. And it's wise of them to do that. So usually it's that the extraterrestrials, they're looking for something. They're looking for resources or they're looking for us because... We've ruined, they're like, you're ruining not just your planet, but the entire solar system, and you all got to go. So it's, it's wise of, of those people to actually attempt communication and find connection and relatability because it could mean that it saves all of our lives. So I think we can destroy connections. We can further divides. We can disconnect and disengage a lot of times on account of our pride, or we can find ways that we're similar and admit that we're desperate <laughs> and admit that, admit that we're all equal in our desperation. So Erwin McManus is a pastor who's been through his fair share of hard things in life. Uh, he said, when have we forgotten that the church doesn't exist for us? We are the church and we exist for the world. And we're the church and the church needs to exude humility. And I think when we learn to exude humility, um, and not pride and not having it all together, that's when we'll see people come through the doors that are like, okay, well, they don't have it all together, so it's okay for me to come here and not have it all together. And, you know, we're not responsible for the churches that aren't getting it right. And why would we waste our time talking about it? We're not responsible for those people. We're responsible for getting it right here in this church, in this campus, where God's asked us to plant roots. So don't let the distraction of other churches or other uh, um, places that aren't getting it right, we're not, we don't, it, God's not asking us to judge them. God's asking us to get it right right here, and we have the opportunity to do that. So the third thing I want to talk to you guys about, the third subject, is everlasting joy versus our shared humanity. Everlasting joy versus our shared humanity. So I don't know if you guys have friends or mom friends or just friends in your life that you haven't talked to like in a few days and you just, you have like an are you alive check-in where you're like, hey, I'm just checking to make sure you're alive, haven't heard from you, haven't, are you alive, do you need french fries, uh, just making sure if you're, just making sure you're alive there. Because um, we, especially in young motherhood, in, in uh, or just when you're like taking on a new job or you're moving or whatever transition you're in, like, the rest of the world kind of becomes, like, okay, you're not really worried about it. You're focused on what's happening in your life and your situation. I joked with our pastor's wife that um, instead of coffee dates, I'm just going to start scheduling. I'm just going to show up to people's house with a, just a bucket of hot potatoes. Just be like, I'm in your driveway. Tell your husband that I have to talk about something really important and come out here. 
So that's, I'm starting that ministry. It's called Fries and Fellowship. So if you need it, just let me know. Just text me. Code word is French fries. Okay. Because life is hard. And God promised that it would be. He promised that it would be. In John 16, verse 33, the Good News translation, it says, I have told you this so that you will have peace by being united to me. The world will make you suffer, but be brave. I have defeated the world. In the message version, it says, I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart, I have conquered the world. So yes, God calls us to choose joy. He calls us um, for him to be our source of joy, for us to find our source of joy and strength in him. But real and raw, hard life, depression and anxiety and illness and pain and disability and brokenness and cancer, those things exist because we're human. And so I think in those areas, it's so important for us to remember that God is drawing us back to relationship, which is just being human with other humans and away from static religion, which is choosing joy, just solely choosing joy and putting on a brave face for others or asking other people to do the same thing. You know, nothing makes me more like oh, mad when, when someone's walking through a struggle, um, someone has cancer, someone has a chronic illness, and people are like, oh, if you just had enough faith or if you could just choose joy or or there's the, the, the things that people say to placate people that are going through hard seasons instead of just saying, I'm here with you. I don't get it, but I'm here, and I may not understand, but I'm here with you, and I'm going to God for you, and I'm going to God with you. And I think we've gotten so used to saying these little phrases, and we have this, like, token verse that we go to, and I think God's drawing us away from that, from the static religion, from the things we're so used to doing, and he's just asking us to engage in relationship. So I don't know if you've ever had one of those, like, everything is fleeting as the wind, like Ecclesiastes, Job battling with God kind of days or months or years or decades. Um, But I think that the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, the letters to the church, the, the fact that the Bible talks about the weight of ministry, I think those things are in the Bible for a reason. They're in the Bible for a lot of reasons, but... I think one of the main things that it wants to show us is that we are human and that it's okay to feel. And from the beginning of time, people have been feeling the way that we feel, that there's nothing new about it. Um, and God wants to draw us back to, that, to being okay with feeling. So there's a, a commonly quoted and I think powerful phrase that says, feelings are meant to be felt, not followed. So I think a lot of times it's stated with a focus on not following our emotions But the implication, um, you know, that we just have to choose joy, we just have to march on, we just have to keep going. But feelings are meant to be felt. It doesn't mean they need to control us, but they are meant to be felt. There's a devotional um, from a devotion me and my husband are reading. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And it says, the emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. And God, he wants to enter into our raw emotions and our hard moments and our hurt feelings. And that's how we find healing. And that's how God draws us to relationship and to other people that are struggling. So when we share our battle wounds and their stories, God shows up there. Every time God shows up there. You know, he can be found in the relationships that come from two hearts that have been broken and mended. 
and the relationship that comes between two survivors working towards healing. And I think sometimes choosing joy just means showing up. It just means showing up where you're at. There's a, a author, Haley Morgan, and she said, show up where your feet are. So some days you just show up where your feet are, and that's all you got to do for that day, and God's not asking more of you. He's just saying, hey, just show up today, and that's you choosing joy that day. Um, God kind of brought the story of Jacob back around to me. This is part that I, a part of my sermon I wasn't sure if I was even going to go into, but um, it's the story of when Jacob was wrestling with God. And if um, Levi, if you want to come up um, and start playing, uh, the, the worship, the full worship team doesn't have to come up. Levi's just going to come up. So, um, and keys. So, Jacob, the story of Jacob wrestling with God, and I think it's a story that we've all heard, um, and a story that God has brought more understanding to me recently. And so, Jacob is wrestling with God, and he says, I will not go until you bless me. And that's a pretty bold thing to say to God, like, I will not go until you bless me. And so I love that. So eventually, you know, God says, like, it's almost daybreak. Let me go. And he's like, I'm not going until you bless me. And he was determined. And so God, he wrenched his hip out of socket. And that's something I can crazy relate to because I have a condition right now that my both of my hip sockets or my joints are literally like they're moving. They're out of place and they shouldn't be. So I walk around basically with my hips out of place. And so Jacob was wrestling with God. You know, sometimes he was wrestling and he he ended up getting a new name. And for me in my life, I don't know if I've gotten to the place where I've gotten that new name yet, but I'm still wrestling with God about a lot of things. And what's so important in these verses as I was studying this is that it says before this in a lot of the scripture that... um, God was the God of Abraham and of Isaac. And not until this wrestling does it say that God was the God of Jacob or of Israel. So not until he wrestled with God personally. You know, I think Jacob probably spent a lot of his life avoiding, maybe avoiding the voice of God or being led by other people in his life or being manipulated by a lot of people in his life. You know, his name actually, it meant like, to manipulator or a liar. And so God changed his name to Israel. He said, because you have struggled with God and men have prevailed. So to Jacob, his faith, it became real and personal to him after he wrestled with God. After he spent so much time wrestling God that he got to know him on a personal level and he became his God. I don't know who this quote is by, but it's something that stuck in my head for a long time. I couldn't find the maker of the quote, but it says, in reference to Jacob, as if he's saying it, I may come out with a limp, but I'm gonna have a new name. And so I would say to you tonight, if you are wrestling with God about something or some things, wrestle on, because God's not scared of that. God's not scared of your questions. He's not scared of uh, your nervousness or your lack of vulnerability. So wrestle on. As long as you're wrestling with God, then keep at it. And, and say to him, I, I'm not going to stop. And I'm not going to I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And God is not scared of that interaction. And he's ready to engage in that interaction with us. So tonight, um, there's note cards that are 
uh, had been passed around. And I'm going to read a quote to you guys at the end, but before that, I just want to invite you guys, if you feel like God is drawing you away from just going through the motions or he's drawing you back to accountability in some area of your life or back to relationship or back to vulnerability in an area of your life where you've gone there and you've been hurt and you're just, you're like, I'm not going there again. I'm not going to be vulnerable there again, or I'm not going to be accountable there again, or I'll give halfway, but I'm not going to tell everybody everything. It's just too much for me to handle. Or if there's a weight that you've been carrying or some striving that you've been doing or a mask that you've been wearing, um, I just want to ask you as we uh, sing tonight to write that on that card and come lay it at the altar. And if you want to do it after we close, that's fine. Or if you want to keep that with you as a reminder, so when you pull, when you that you see that in your purse, you see that in your bag somewhere, and you say, yep, I'm doing that again, to not let shame be associated with that, but to uh, be reminded that, that you're laying that down. So as you write those things, as we sing, um, whatever that is, whatever shame or whatever fear or whatever insecurity you need to write on that card, do that tonight and come lay it at the altar. Or if you long for the relationship that I'm talking about tonight, that you long for this relationship I'm talking about with this God that comes down and he, he comes and he lives amongst his people and you've never made that commitment tonight, then I wanna invite you to do that tonight. There's nothing fancy about it. And even if you're listening or you're watching and you haven't made that commitment, there's nothing fancy about that tonight. All you have to say is, God, I invite you into my heart. I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me and that he rose again. And I invite you to be the captain of my soul. And it's as simple as that, to begin a, a life-giving, transform, transformative life. So Laura and Nate are going to be at the back if anyone needs prayer during this time. We're just going to sing, and I want to read this quote to you before we do. It's a quote by George McLeod, who was a a clergyman, and he was a war veteran. He um, was pretty progressive for his time. This sounds like something someone would say like now, but it was, he was born in 1895. And he said, I simply argue that the cross be raised again at the center of the marketplace, as well as on the steeple of the church. I'm recovering the claim that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves, on a town garbage heap, at a crossroad of politics so cosmopolitan that they had to write his title in Hebrew and in Latin and in Greek. And at the kind of place where cynics talk smut and thieves curse and soldiers gamble because that is where he died. And that is what he died about. And that is where Christ's own ought to be. And that is what the church people ought to be about. So as we worship and as we pray, I just invite you to write those things down on the cards and lay them to the altar. And I'll come back up and close in just a couple minutes.